welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 15 of The Subtle Knife, Blood Moss. the last one oh my god we made it we made it to the end yeah yes well hello everybody hello book two done and dusted almost yeah almost almost have you all recovered from alamo gulch (laughs) i'm not (laughs) quite sure if i have Um, i don't think i have either (laughs) mm, mm, But yeah, hope you enjoyed our episode. Hope you enjoyed the song. Yes. We put a lot of effort into that. A big thanks again to Johnny for his musical stylings. We love him so much we with do. his guitar skills. We <laughs> do. And we've had some lovely feedback about the song. And also just a reminder that that song does live on the internet. If you want to claim it for your own, you can go to patreon.com forward slash pod, pledge at any level and download it. And then you can listen to it as many times as you like if you want to cry all the time you can listen to it all the time (laughs) if you don't maybe just maybe sparingly yeah if you want to set it as your alarm tone so you can wake up every morning crying that works too (laughs) nice yes i will say as well that since last episode when we were talking about storms and how we get really shit storms in the uk it's been really stormy all week and it hasn't been it's still pretty low on my storm rating list like i've heard like maybe three rumbles of thunder and like a bit of lightning but as we've started recording today it's just started thundering outside so you might hear some ambient storm noises if only we had some piano music to go with it (laughs) yes it is extra stormy at the moment and um yeah it's just it's a bit temperamental to be honest we're not getting like a sustained oh just an afternoon long thunderstorm which i think is what you mean we've been having like five minutes of thunder five minutes of hail five minutes of sunshine five minutes of absolute downpouring rain five minutes of drizzle five minutes of absolute sunshine five minutes of downpouring rain and it's like make your mind up literally every time i've stepped out of the house this week it has started absolutely pissing it down and then as soon as i've gone back in the house it stopped like great great it's you it's you you made fun of Joppery and his <laughs> weather skills and now you've been cursed he, yeah he's come for me from beyond the grave <laughs> after this chapter anyway yeah <laughs> oh god well how are you i'm good i'm potentially going to be stumbling over my words a bit this episode because i bit my cheek while eating pizza the other day i was there i witnessed it yeah it's i pro- took such a big chunk out of first bite ruined a perfectly good meal mm-hmm. and it's still like really hurting i take a big old oh, chunk no. out of my cheek Aww. so like i'm like talking around it and it's throwing me off my game oh girl don't worry i have <laughs> been there many many a time when i used to get horrible mouth ulcers it is the mm. fucking worst the worst uh, i've got some great steroid treatment if you <laughs> if you want that Ooh. <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah but i mean we're all allowed in each other's houses now so that's fun 
I'm so excited. Yay. We have been doing Patreon watch-alongs of the first season of the TV series, like on a monthly basis, and we've been doing it remotely. Obviously, the entire watch-along is remote. We all chat on Discord. But for for season two, we might be able to sit next to each other while we talk to everyone else on Discord. That would be so <laughs> it's fun. It's going to be so great. Yay. Like we did, um, we did that for the Golden Compass film, didn't we, last summer when we were allowed in each other's houses? Oh, that mm-hmm. was so fun. Uh, we we have been seeing quite a lot of each other recently, and I've been enjoying it. My favorite thing that we've done is recently is go for a walk in that graveyard when it absolutely pissed it down. That was fun. Yes, yeah. If you're ever in south southeast London and you want a good cemetery to walk around and feel like a big old goth, Crofton Park Cemetery is lovely yeah it's really nice like crofton slash ladywell cemetery and it's just all like bluebells and overgrown things and little tiny footpaths through the woods there's like a weird little area where maybe some kind of like local youth groups built these like shelters and it looks like something from the blair witch project with all these like branches stacked up like it's it's such a lovely place to walk around and feel like well we felt like big old rainbow goths because it started tipping it down and we both had rainbow umbrellas (laughs) The gayest goths ever in a cemetery. <laughs> the gayest goth. It was, it was very goth queer. I was here for it. It was a really fun. I just yeah, walking around in the rain in a cemetery, but like loving life. Yeah, was so good. Yeah, and literal <laughs> matching rainbow umbrellas that Rich gave to me. May I add, they are exactly the same. Yeah, accidentally ordered two. Gave my spare one to Faye so that we can match. <laughs> and I did. I will post this. So remind me, because I haven't posted it anywhere yet. We saw, uh, I love a good grave, love a good crypt. We saw a grave that had like an angel on top of it or like a little cherubie thing, whatever you want to call it. And a leaf had like covered its entire face and the vine, like the vines from the trees had like wrapped around its arm that was like pointing. And it looked so great, like something straight out of a horror film. And it looked... Like it looked yeah. man-made, but it was clearly a nature-based thing that had just happened accidentally in nature. And I was like, "This is fucking amazing!" And I will post the picture because it's great. It looked like the kind of thing where at some point the wind might blow and it would the leaf would like pull away from the face of the statue, and suddenly we'd realise the statue was screaming, and it was like so dramatic. Yeah. And then like a squirrel would run, run past and make everybody have like a fake jump scare, and then something actually evil would start like rounding the corner. Yes, yes, yes. I wish that Mm. would have happened. I would have loved that. Yeah, if anyone wants to film our horror movie script, that's all we've got so far. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good starting point, I think. Yes. I think so. Love it. (laughs) I mean, hopefully more things will start to happen, but I don't really have much to report because the way that we've recorded these two episodes are actually quite close together. So I haven't done much in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, same. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I think I've maybe, I I was going to say I've left the house no times. I've left the house one time and that was yesterday when I managed to run to the post office and back between thunderstorms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. literally seconds after I got in, it was hailing mm-hmm. like five mil hailstones and I narrowly missed it. I miss that. I must have been, like I was in the house, but I must have just been busy because I wasn't really looking out of the window. But then Rach sent me a video of her like picking up these massive like fucking mm-hmm. hail bit. What do you call them? I just called them hail bits. Hailstones? <laughs> hail bits. Hail bits. <laughs> All hail the bits. That's it. New name. Hail bits. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love this though. I feel every time I end up talking to anyone about the weather for an extended period of time or repeatedly like we are right now, I'm just like, no wonder people are like, oh, Brits always talking about the weather. But it's like, 
you do not know. You do not know until you've lived here how weird the, the weather is just in terms of like, you you just, we always talk about it because it's always so different. It's so different all the time. Minute to minute. Literally minute to minute. Yeah. Like when me and Rich started recording the, this podcast, it was pissing it down. Now my room looks a bit brighter. I can only assume that it's sunny outside. What do you do, folks who live in places where the weather is like consistent most of the time what do you even talk about when you meet somebody like do you ask them how the drive was if you drove like (laughs) every like interaction I've had the last couple of days my friends have been like voice notes been like look at this weather (laughs) oh god it's crazy (laughs) my mum filmed me this morning she was like what's the weather like down there it's really weird up here I was like oh mum it's crazy down here too yeah literally on the phone to my parents yesterday and it started like thundering and I was like holding my phone up to the sky like yeah what interesting conversation we're having oh my god riveting (laughs) I'm so excited for the world to start going again me too I'm really excited I'm going I'm going to see my parents for the first time in ages I'm going home at the end of May provided that nothing major happens probably going to order myself one of those like at home test kits so that I can have a quick little test before I go back so that I know I'm not taking anything horrible back to my grandma who's fortunately fully vaccinated but you know better safe than sorry Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to see my family (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely I'm just excited to not be in my fucking house all the time yes yes I have to ask you what your demon would be this week and I'm asking first and it feels strange but I'm doing it what would your demon be this week Rich tell us um i absolutely have not thought about it because <laughs> it's a struggle right it's a struggle yeah. to think about it i struggle a lot i i'm hoping i think we've said this before but i'm hoping as life fingers crossed goes a bit more back to normal uh, like i'll be doing different things so i'll be able to tell you like oh i've been really tired this week or blah 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 but i'm just like oh <laughs> i don't know yeah i because I thought I, because I, I thought of a really good demon last week, my little dick dick, which was very cute. And if you saw it on our Instagram stories, it's a very cute little deer. Um, I feel like I put all my energy into that, and I don't know, I won't have a new idea for another two weeks. But I did see a very cute picture on the BBC Wildlife Instagram of a baby seal that I really want to touch. So Aww. I'm just gonna have that. It's I'm... velvety and it's sassy and I'm going to send it to you now uh, so that you too can witness the velvety sassy seal. And I'll also send it to the podcast so that we can reshare it when this episode comes out. Oh, it's so, it looks so like soft. It looks so it's soft smooth. and it's also like, it's got a real attitude. Proper sassy, yeah. What would yours be this week? I didn't know. I struggled a lot and I thought I've had like a very confusing week so many things have been like thrown at me out of nowhere and it's just been like I don't know what to do about half of them so I like looked up animals that can also feel confusion and the first one that came up and the one that I related to because it's a a sea animal is a bottlenose dolphin apparently there's been tests and if you like um give them something that you think would deliberately like confuse a human like a puzzle or whatever in they would feel the same way they get confused Aww, so little confused dolphin yeah that's me that's my <laughs> that's demon really this cute. week i think it, obviously again it means that i'd have to be near the sea all the time but i don't particularly mind because that's where i always want to be anyway so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i love that dolphins are so so clever <laughs> so many sea creatures are so much cleverer than you think yeah truly truly 
Yeah, being clever means you can also be confused. Poor things. (laughs) (laughs) That's the downfall. That is the downfall of it. Brilliant. Well, (laughs) shall we get into the last chapter of The Subtle Knife? I guess we should. Last chapter, Philip Pullman broke our hearts by killing off one of his most beloved characters. I'm still not over it. We almost quit the podcast forever and refused to ever read these books again. But it's okay, we're still here. (laughs) We made the decision. It was a tough decision, but we made the decision to carry on. (laughs) In this chapter, Mrs. Coulter is on a mission to find Lyra. She poisons Boreal after finding out information about the knife, finally finds out Lyra's prophecy name, which is Eve, and vows to prevent another fall. Will finally meets his dad, a.k.a. Joppery, a.k.a. Stanislaw Grumman, a.k.a. John Parry, who knows, only for him to be immediately murdered by a witch. God damn it. Will meets some angels who say they'll guide him on his mission to give the knife to Azriel. Will goes back to get Lyra, but she isn't there. Oh my God. She's gone. Lyra's gone. Cliffhangers <laughs> everywhere. This is a bloody jam-packed chapter, isn't it? It sure is. I used almost as many notes for this chapter as I did for the last chapter, but significantly fewer of them just have crying emojis <laughs> on them. <laughs> Phil really did just like... This is what I imagine he did. He was like, look, I'm done with this book now. I only want to write one more chapter. I could have separated this chapter into at least three chapters, but I'm just going to put it all in one and leave it at that. Yeah, he's like 15. It's a nice round number, you know? But yeah. it's not... Let's not make it 16. That's an awkward number. <laughs> yeah, let's not drag it out anymore. Let's just fucking do it. Full speed ahead. Let's let's cover Lyra and Will and Coulter all in the same chapter. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Why not? Why not? So yeah, we're back with Lyra and Will after the devastation of uh, last chapter. They're still walking up the mountain. It's really hot and dry and it sounds fucking horrible. Um, my first question would be... Wouldn't they have seen, smelt, or heard the massive forest fire that happened last chapter? It depends how... I would say it depends how much further it is, but based on how far Joppery gets with his poorly heart to get to whatever the top of the hill is that Will ends up at at the end of this chapter, I'd assume it's not that far. Right? Yeah, surely they'd see the smoke. Maybe there's, like, part of a mountain between them and it. Maybe. I I, I mean... I would have I would have thought so. It's strange to me that they don't. And there's obviously a lot of stuff about it being hot and dry. And at first I thought, okay, maybe that's it. But no, because the fire only happened like the same day or yes, or the day before they are, as I can assume the day before or the same day that they're walking. Well, it must be the same day, right? Because Serafina, I, I assume there's not too much of a delay on Serafina's Very true. Fla- flower phone call, okay. SOS signal. <laughs> Which she gets now, so Lee is only just... Oh, God. Oh, no. No, I mean, not again. It's fine. Lee is just dying as we're reading. It's fine. We can't over again. We can't do it again. We can't do it again. But no, no, very true. Very true. Very true. So, yeah, what is this fire situation? Why can they not see, hear, or smell it? Or see, hear, or whatever. The Zeppelins, which must be, have been in, you know, visible to the witches that were flying, that yeah. have been flying. Yeah. Come on, Phil, sort out these plot holes. Come on, come on. <laughs> um, during this bit where they're all, they're like walking up the mountain and stuff, there's not that much to say other than my note was, Panzer Mountain Sheep. And that's really cute. Uh, 
literally my note is also sheep pan and it made me think of there's this amazing video of these maybe they're mountain goats actually but these little goats that climb the side of a dam oh that's like it's so you know when a, a wall is like so close to being vertical it's yes. basically vertical but yep. it's not there's obviously like a very slight yeah these little goats and their babies climb this dam oh. to get to the water that slowly seeps through it the salt that collects on the side of it and the plants that grow on it it's but it's like a massive dam and it's these how sheep do they are like grip? just they're like what they just really casually walking sideways up a vertical surface. <laughs> I will find the video. I will share it with you. and We will put it in the Patreon Discord because it makes no sense. And it's really amazing to watch. I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Will's hand, still super painful. Checking in on that pain. It's quite a lot of pain still. This is going to sound hopefully amusing, but I'm not drawing too much of a comparison because I like Will is very injured but the bit about him say it like uh, it's saying that he feels like less pain when he's still and like more um sorry less pain when he's moving and, and more pain when he's still reminded me of being hungover oh because i feel i feel a lot of the time if i've got a hangover i feel worse if i'm like laid down in bed if i just like push through it and go out and do something then i feel better mm. i may be learning this and don't get me wrong, there are definitely some hungover days where all I do is stay in bed. But before, when I have pushed through hangovers, I've felt better uh, by getting up and doing something. I thought for a second you were going to compare it to period pain, so I was about to say a similar thing in terms Ooh. of like sometimes for me, I used to get I get it quite badly. Um, but when it would happen and I was at work and I just had to power through and carry on with the day's work sometimes that would be better because I'd be distracted whereas like if I'm home and it's like the weekend and it's really bad and I can just lay in bed and feel sorry for myself I will do that but it means I can focus more on the pain and then that's probably worse <laughs> I also just think that uh people uh, who menstruate are much better at dealing with pain anyway and pushing through pain because we have to do that like you said in order to still go to work and things like that you just have to push through it so I feel mm -hmm. like we have a bigger if that's the right term like pain threshold like than anybody yeah. else having a uterus is annoying oh oh god you are preaching to the choir right <laughs> annoying now is an understatement but yeah truly i wish i've said this so many times i wish that i could give mine to somebody who wants it because i don't want it like i don't want kids and I'd rather not have all this shit that comes along with having a fucking period every month. So can I not just give it to somebody that might need it slash want it? Like, wh why is that not a thing I can do? I would do it. I, yeah, I wish it was. Yeah. Anyway, so Will thinks that the witches fear him because they couldn't heal his hand, which is interesting. That, like, he thinks that they think that he must be cursed because they didn't have the power or skill to heal him. They stopped to get some water and i've just got my first sticky note just says no on it i guess that's sarah getting the flower telegram <laughs> yeah yeah oh no yeah. i keep calling it sarah for sure it's seraphina yeah obviously yeah i yeah. must leave you for a while she said lee scoresby needs me i don't know why but he wouldn't call if he didn't need my help keep going and i'll find you mr scoresby said lyra excited and anxious but where but Serafina was gone, speeding out of sight before Lyra could finish the question. 
Lyra reached automatically for the alethiometer to ask what had happened to Lee Scoresby, but she let her hand drop because she'd promised to do no more than guide Will. Just ask, Lyra! Ask it! So, this is my question. Would we rather she didn't know for now? Yeah. Are we happy that she's kind of like, is it ignorance is bliss? She's just assuming that everything's all right until she actually has to know what's happened? Or do we wish that she knew because... She deserves to be one of the first people to find out um, because of how close they are. It's really, like, I kind of want to just protect her and keep her in in the dark part for as long as possible because it's so heartbreaking. But also it's like the reason that she's not reading the alethiometer, I think, isn't a good enough reason to not check in on a friend. Yeah, and also I always struggle with that kind of thing of, like, should you be told... Or should you not be? Do you know if it's like a big thing that's happened um, and you might have other shit going on and it's not the right time? I I go back and forth because like if it was me, I'd want to know immediately because I wouldn't like to think that something had been kept from me. It's different in terms of like no one's keeping it from her at the moment. She's keeping it from herself. No, I just, yeah, I just meant in general. Like in general life, like I always, I'm nosy rich, so I like to be in the know about everything. And if people like keep stuff from me, I'm like, oh, but I want to know. I imagine if slash when Seraphina Peckler makes it to Scoresby and then if slash when she makes it back to Lyra, that she would at least tell her, right? It's yeah, rather than Lyra having to find out through someone else. I don't know. And I truly cannot remember when or if that happens. So (laughs) if slash when. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's probably not not the best time for her to find out. But also, I just didn't like the tease of her going to look at, like, ask the alethiometer and then not doing it. I was like, oh, just do it. It's another her seeing the balloon and being like, I never got the chance to say goodbye to him last time. I do hope I see him again. And we're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And also, yeah, right. And also, I'm just really glad that Serafina is going to Lee because if he didn't have that flower, how would anyone ever know that he was dead? There was no one left, like, around there. Nobody would have ever found, ever found him. Yeah. And that's really sad. And I'm sorry. Let's not let's not dwell. <laughs> Power on through. Power on through. It's yeah. a good chapter. There's light-ish moments in it, although it's the end of the book, so it's inevitably very heavy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Will and Lyra have a bit of a conversation about Will's dad, and poor Will. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can really relate to longing for something so hard and for so long that you don't even know that that's what you're longing for anymore. Mm. I think that's like a really beautiful like description and I think I can relate hard to it. And my note was he needs some therapy to unpack that. He really does. He they does. both do. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of trauma for kids their age to have been through. There's a lot of unpacking to do there later in life, I think. Yeah, absolutely. He mentions that his... um, So Lyra's asking what he needs to do, when, like why he needs to find his father. And Will says that his mother has always said that he'd take up his father's mantle. And they start to ask what a mantle is. And we've kind of joked around this a couple of times. The word keeps coming up. But I think it's important to note at this point that... Mantle does have a few different definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got up the uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary website oh, right now. She's, she's ready. She's ready. <laughs> definition of mantle. Definition 1A. A loose, sleeveless garment worn over other clothes, a.k.a. 
a cloak. Okay. B, a figurative cloak symbolising preeminence or authority. Example, he accepted the mantle of mm. leadership. Mm-hmm. Two, something that covers, enfolds or envelops. Wow. The ground was covered with a mantle of leaves. Also refers to the, on birds, they use their wings. Their wings can be referred to as a mantle or the upper portion of their wings. And some birds cover their food when they're eating it with their wings and it's called mantling. Oh. Fun. It is a part of mollusks, is Ooh. a mantle. Interesting. God, how many definitions are there? So many. So I'm not surprised that no one's really sure what it means. <laughs> the outer wall of a furnace or lantern. The earth's core is also known as the mantle or oh. one of the layers on the way towards the earth core. Earth's core is a mantle. An important role or responsibility that passes from one person to another. Or, for example, the second son has now assumed his father's mantle. So, like, that's a much more close definition to what yeah. we're thinking of. Potentially here with what Will's mum has been saying to him. Like, that's what he's thinking when he's thinking about picking up his father's mantle, which is why it's a lovely little Easter egg when he then starts to wear his father's cloak because it is literally his mantle. <laughs> we're not there yet. Who cares? It's an Easter egg. I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. Lyra's getting more perceptive about Will as well. Will, like we were saying, Will longed for that so much he hardly knew he did. It was just a part of what everything felt like. So he couldn't express that to Lyra now, though she could see it in his eyes, and that was new for her too, to be quite so perceptive. The fact was that where Will was concerned, she was developing a new kind of sense, as if he were simply more in focus than anyone she'd known before. Everything about him was clear and close and immediate. Oh, she's crushing hard, girl. (laughs) I definitely understand that kind of vibe in terms of either when you've just got like a best best friend that you're currently obsessed with and like nothing else is in focus except then when you're in like a room full of people but also like if you are crushing on someone that like kind of no matter who else is in the room your eyes will always dart back to that person that you've got a bit of a crush on and like that they are that pulling your focus they're the center of your focus and like it's so sweet that that's Will for Lyra because it's it can be oh she's got a bit of a crush on him but it's also like he's just so important to her right now like he's her best friend yeah and also i think that the fact that she's like developing this like new kind of sense for him and everything about him was clear and close and immediate and she's been more perceptive of him totally all the things that you said but also it seems it's it's much deeper than that as well i think like it's more like the 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 best friend vibe in the sense that it feels like they've just each found their person. Do you know what I mean? Regardless of what that means, whether it means a romantic thing or a best friend thing or whatever, like they've found another person that they're like, oh, I immediately know you. Like I know your essence. I know what makes you tick. I know everything without having to learn it, if that makes sense. It's just a sense that's there. Um, And I really like that a lot. Yeah, I just love that it's so new for Lyra as well, personally, because she has been historically quite self-absorbed yes yes (laughs) and so it's really interesting that she's kind of seeing that in herself and she's like oh gosh i'm getting better at understanding people this specific person (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. so one of the witches flies down and says that she's seen someone following them and i love how in charge lyra is here because the witch says to her shall i go closer and look and lyra's like yes do but fly low and hide and don't let them see you. Look at Lyra giving out the orders. Love it. Love, Love it. it. I, unfortunately, I'm going to take us back one moment just to read out one sentence because it breaks my heart. 
It is to do with Will being homesick. What he couldn't say was that he longed for his father as a lost child yearns for home. The comparison wouldn't have occurred to him because home was the place he kept safe for his mother, not the place that others kept safe for him. And it had been five years now since that Saturday morning in the supermarket. And it's just the idea of like home is the place that he keeps safe for his mum, not the place other people keep safe for him. Yeah. is just such a heartbreaking statement and really encapsulates Will and his like a lot about him and who he is as a person as this like protective person as somebody that functions in the way that he does and it's it's heartbreaking but it's lovely yeah yeah it is it is yep <laughs> cool. Cool cool, cool 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 <laughs> so they have a little conversation about climate change here <laughs> love it <laughs> do you know what's really sad is that these books were written like how many, how, what, what, what was it? Like 97-ish? Let me, let me look in the front of my book. <laughs> like 20 years ago. And first published 1997. I was oh, four. I, I was, I was bloody spot on there, wasn't it? I was six. <laughs> but th- these conversations are still happening and that nothing is being done about it is very fucking upsetting. Um, mm-hmm. And I was also like, can we just blame Asriel for this one as well? <laughs> Yeah, well, this is the thing, like, whether it's in Will's world, it's us messing up our own planet. In Lyra's world, they're industrially a little ways behind and therefore probably haven't realised the impact they're having on the environment yet. But also, Asriel's given that a good old head start. Yeah. So it's like, everywhere, humans are messing up the planet for good old bears like Yorick. Great. Great. Love to see it. Yeah. So they carry on walking and now we're back with the witch who went back to spy and she's called Lena Felt. It's nice to be with a witch. I know it doesn't end well for her, but I was like, oh, this is a new character that we haven't followed before. Interesting. So she finds some soldiers making camp and they don't have demons. And she can just kind of feel that they don't have demons, not in the way that Will doesn't have a demon, but in the way that the people at Bolvanger didn't have demons. Like, sinister demon not having, not your demons inside you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Then out of a tent by the lakeside came the explanation. Lena felt saw a woman, a short life, graceful in her khaki hunting clothes and as full of life as the golden monkey who capered along the water's edge beside her. Just have to... Energy. Yeah. Big C. Energy. She's in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Coulter's here. Yeah. Just have to read out every description of Coulter. Of course. Yeah. Where possible. Oh my goodness. Sad times that little monkey prick is here as well, but obviously he has to be. Um, yeah, short life. We've had that description before, haven't we? Because I remember you saying that you liked it. I think in Northern Lights. Yeah, it's always similar to how sailors would call people that live on land landlubbers, or how yeah. Egyptians call people landlopers. It's like the way witches refer to um, mortals as yeah. like short lives. Is like just a, a little colloquialism. So we find out Lena had been at Bolvanger, so she knows who Mrs. Coulter is. And she wants to kill her immediately, but she's too far away. Mm-hmm. By some stroke of luck, Mrs. Coulter is just just more than a bow shot away, which if we remember from the Joffrey chapter, a bow shot is about, what did I say, 25 oh, metres? I can't <laughs> remember. I can't remember. <laughs> if we wanted to measure this out, I could refer to my notes from a previous chapter. <laughs> um, so Lena makes the invisibility spell so that she can get closer. And in my opinion... Like, she does, like, takes it a little step too far because, like, she steps outside the tent and she could have just, like, lurked there, but no, she opens the flap and fucking sticks her head in. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit nosy. It's just like you can hear yeah. from inside a tent. Like, do you need? It's dangerous for her to like stick her fucking head in, as we learn later. Um, yeah, but it's good for us because then we get to know what's going on. <laughs> also, like, I feel like the witches should have, at the very least, her demon could like perch on top of the tent near like an uh, air vent where he mm. can hear better. Um, but yeah, she just going inside seems a bit reckless. And I would have thought witches would have a make my hearing better spell. Yeah. That would be more useful in this situation than an invisibility spell. True. True. Mrs. Coulter is with Creepy Charles. Mm-hmm. Our good old pal, Creepy Charles, who's mm-hmm. not a pal and will never be a pal. <laughs> he will never be my pal. How dare you? No, thank you. Unless we're talking about Arian Bakari's Boreal, in which case he's allowed. He's a very I mean, different vibe. I Boreal. want Arian Bakari to be my pal. I do not want... Arian Bakari's Boreal to be my pal is still a dick. True, true. I feel like he's a more tolerable dickhead than this Charles. Oh, I don't know, you know, in like... In some of the ways. In some ways, yeah, but like, we obviously just recently watched season one with our patrons and when he, the way that he, like, gaslights Elaine and, like, forces his way into her house, no. Yeah, yeah, that's not, that's not great. Yeah, he's yeah. a really bad person. <laughs> what a bad guy. <laughs> yep. Not cool, dude. No, no. I have really struggled with my concentration this week. I've been really struggling to focus on any task. So in order to aid getting through making my notes on this, I was like, I listened to the audiobook without making any notes. And then when it came to like reading the book, I was like, in- to keep me focused, I had the audiobook on and was like reading at the same time. So like skim reading while the audiobook oh. gave me the information. So I could like place my notes in the right places on my page Mm -hmm. but also so that my brain didn't have to focus too hard but fun fact the voices in the audiobooks really odd and the voice actor for mrs coulter so it's philip pullman doing the narration which gets weird later on Mm. um and (laughs) (laughs) uh the voices of boreal and coulter are really like boreal is very like oxbridge posh tough kind of voice and mrs coulter is like so sickly sweet that it's really hard to listen to this scene i this so i this is my gut feel about me and audiobooks because i've never listened to an audiobook before um but i don't think i would like it like i like reading books in my own voice and i don't i don't think i would like a character voice projected onto me like i like the freedom of me imagining how mm. I think people would sound. And I just don't think I would like listening to like an act, an actor's portrayal, uh, reading the words from the page. It's different when you see it on TV and it's an adaptation. Um, yeah. and obviously an audiobook is a kind of adaptation, but they're literally reading it verbatim. And it's like, I want my own imagination, uh, imagination to do that work rather than have somebody else's idea of what Mrs. Coulter should sound like in my ears. I mean, and that I'm not, I'm not shitting on if you and if, people you i know rich you love an audiobook and i'm sure many people listening do but for me it's just not i just can't do that i really like it for like a low energy way of consuming a book yeah (laughs) Um, and especially just for the way that a lot of the way that it tells the story but sometimes so the lyra in this audiobook doesn't sound how i imagine lyra Mm. sound and the coulter is a little bit off but not in a way that like puts you off the book you're still getting all the all the information but i would love to pet if I can find it, I'll play a little bit for you because oh you will hate it. <laughs> I'm sure I fucking will. You know I can please you more than this. Her demon's little black horny hands were stroking the serpent demon. 
Little by little, the serpent loosened herself and began to flow along the man's arm towards the monkey. Fucking hell. Both the man and the woman were holding glasses of golden wine, and she sipped hers and leaned a little closer to him. <gasps> said the man as the demon slipped slowly off his arm and uh, right into the golden No, I don't want it. Stop it. <laughs> That's not even the worst of it. I hate it. I Ooh. fucking hate it so much. So <laughs> it's, uh, the, it's the R sound. <laughs> right. I feel like, right, we've got to talk about this now, right? Coulter is quizzing Boreal on what he knows about the knife, but her methods of <laughs> extracting information border on X-rated. <laughs> it is so fucking strange and also made me feel so sick i messaged i sent rachel voice and i've been like what the fuck is going on here why is the monkey wanking off a snake because that is essentially <laughs> what is happening and there's a line which made me want to fucking die hang on let me find it it's, it's a little bit further on we're jumping ahead but we're in it now we're in it um oh god <clears throat> He shook his head, but he was finding it hard to resist. His demon was twined gently around the monkey's breast and running her head through and through the long, lustrous fur as his hands moved along her fluid length. What the fuck? <laughs> it's... So, <clears throat> there was a moment, ever so slightly similar to this, at the end of Northern Lights, I feel like... Phil just saves the weird Anna, the weird, the weird demon sexy moments for the last chapters of the books. Um, I do not love it. It makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. It's very hard to read. It's even harder to listen to, especially when narrated by Phil. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. This is no. I completely yeah. agree. There must be so. I literally messaged Rich earlier, and I was like, I feel sorry for you having to listen to the audiobook because the last thing I want is a old white man talking about fluid lengths like no <laughs> i don't want it like it's uh, it's enough to imagine him writing the words on the page it is too much to hear him I'm say it imagining him writing a lot of it down and being like is this like is this hot is this <laughs> is this sexy is it coming across that she's seducing him with her demon on his demon is that is that what's happening here or have i gone too far is it a bit like is it too far is it x-rayed i can't tell i, I can't tell do it, i keep fluid lengths in there oh, or do we God. do we edit that out and then they kept it in can I ask, what did you think of this as a child charlotte must have gone over your head completely went yeah. over my head good i good. just read the conversation i was like oh the monkey's stroking the snake <laughs> like, you can't <laughs> You can't just say the words of what is happening without it sounding like an innuendo. No, no. It's impossible. No, no. I, I'm sorry, Rich. I'm really upset that you just played that fucking noise of like <laughs> the the noise that Boreal made because that's going to be in my head forever now. I'm so sorry. You should be. It is. There's a, we a weird bit later where Coulter goes, ah. And like the actress really gets into it and it's like, no, thank you. I don't I don't think that's how satisfied she was. Thank you very much. Jesus Christ. So within these horrible sexy demon moments, <laughs> we yeah. do learn some information. And one of the bits of information that is kind of just peppered in really fucking like blasely is that fucking Mrs. Coulter can control the spectres. Okay, we're not here for the weird demon innuendo not so innuendo because it's actually happening moments um i am here for the confidence a hundred percent the big c energy of mrs coulter being like boreal asks her how she commands the specters and she says simple 
They know that I can give them more nourishment if they let me live than if they can consume me. I can lead them to all the victims their phantom hearts desire. And as soon as you described them to me, I knew I could dominate them. And so it turns out. The whole world trembles in the power of these pallid things. But Carlo... Oh no, I won't read the rest of it. Because she says, but Carlo, I can please you too. Would you like me to please you even more? No, 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 no. no. Stop it. Not to that bit, but yes to the like... The moment I saw them, I knew I could dominate them. Pow, pow, pow. Confidence. Yes, big C energy. <laughs> I, I wish she would dominate me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so what else, we, what else do we learn in here? We learn, so Mrs. Coulter's like, what is going on with this boy? Why do you want him? All that kind of shite. And we learn that he's after the knife, which is called... Asahatra. So that's what Asahatra is. It's the knife. Yeah, finally. Two and two. They are together and it has made four. <laughs> okay, before that, um, there's a little bit where um, Lena is obviously still watching and there's some spectres behind her and one of them is edging closer. But I'm getting excited because I messaged Rachel earlier and I was like, oh my God, I found out this amazing thing and I can't wait to tell you about it and I'm going to do it now. <laughs> I'm so, going to do it. So when... Uh, Boyle says it's a knife the subtle knife of Chittagatse you haven't heard it uh, you haven't heard of it Marissa which is a fucking condescending thing to do what a dickhead um, some people call it I don't know how to say this can you can you do it because you're better at trying to pronounce things than me I literally heard this in the audiobook twice oh. over the past day and I cannot pronounce it Teletaya Makara maybe Teletaya Makara right I think so I googled it because I wanted to see like what it meant. So two things. One, it's Greek, apparently, according to Google. Don't hold me to it. A machaira is a type of ancient Greek bladed weapon, generally a large knife or sword with a single cutting edge. Uh, it means last translated. I don't know how good Google Translate is, but it means last knives um, in Ooh. English. Um, but the most exciting thing I wanted to tell you about is when I googled uh, Teletea Makaira, the first thing that came up, I'm so excited, there's a black metal band called Asahetra and they have a song called Teletea Makaira. Amazing! What does it sound Am like? <laughs> Let me play it. Let me play it. It's 14 minutes long. Right, before I play it, um, they have other songs. They're from Montreal. They're called Asahetra. They're called Asahetra. It's spelled the way that it's spelled in the book. And they have, from what I can see, they haven't done anything since 2010, but they have songs on Bandcamp. And here are the names of the songs. Svalbard Infinite, The Sundering Blade of Bolvanga, The Fury of the Pansabiona, Among Witches, and Teletaya Makaira. I wish that this was a podcast where you could see my face because I'm just grinning ear to ear. <laughs> That's brilliant. I was so excited. I was so excited. Oh right. God. Let me play you some of this song. It's 14 minutes long. I think, I don't know legally how much I can play. Let's go with like 15 seconds. I'm gonna have to skip because it's like a classical intro, but you need to hear the, the like the metal bit. Wow. 
Yes. Well, indeed. Oh I guess we should probably pop a link to that Absolutely. in the episode description so you all can go and enjoy that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I was Love so excited. It. I was so fucking excited when I found yes. out. I'm we were gonna... having a conversation the other day about like, oh, I wonder how much, like, how many songs there are out there. Because we know that Lynn wrote a song that was inspired by a moment much later in the books that we yeah. shan't mention. But... I wonder how many songs are out there that like mention the books or like are about the books and you found an entire metal album. This is actually just dedicated to these books. Amazing. I'm so excited. (laughs) I need to like delve into a bit more research about them, find out if they're still a thing. Uh, How amazing would it be to talk to them? That would be so much fun. Yes. (laughs) Um, But yes, I was so excited. I literally sent Rachel a voice note. I was like, oh my God, I found out the most exciting thing. (laughs) I'm so glad that you found that. Me too. <laughs> oh, it's so exciting. Um, okay. Grossness, grossness, grossness. We've been through that. I'm not fucking doing it again. We do not want to know about Charles sighing with pleasure. Thank you very much. Goodbye. No, we do not. We do not. What we do want to see is Mrs. Coulter getting him to take a drink and the witch noticing that, like, what Mrs. Coulter's done while preparing these drinks and that she's put something in his drink yeah and that she's gone full femme fatale Mm -hmm. she's done a big old poison and like the moment Coulter knows that Charles has had that drink she like rounds on the witch oh my god everything it gave me chills so much in the books again in the audiobook really good because the voice flip from the like sickly sweet Mrs Coulter to the like Really sharp, really pointed, very in control. Yeah. You think I didn't see you there, witch? Oh, everything. Incredible. Everything. Incredible. I fucking love to see it. Um, amidst this, Boreal's having a bad time. He's been poisoned, essentially. So Uh-oh. it's not going well for him. Basically, what happens here is Lena is get inspected. Well, firstly, her demon is. So. It says Lena felt turned and saw her snow uh, snow bunting demon fluttering and shrieking as if he were in a glass chamber that was being emptied of air, fluttering and falling, slumping, failing, his beak open opening widely, gasping in panic. The spectre had enveloped him, and that um, it makes me think of when we spoke to Russell and he asked us specifically what we thought of the scene in the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, where the demon looks like it's being like drowned in a spectre, and it's beautiful, <laughs> um, beautiful, beautiful. Yes, I really like this particular bit because it really shows how much Coulter has learned and like grown and learned throughout the book. Because at the very beginning of this book, Coulter is torturing a witch, yeah, unsuccessfully. The witch does not give up the information. She dies by like a mercy killing from Zaravina Pekala slash by choice because she's calling for death at the point where she dies and Coulter does not get the information she wants that was through like horrible nasty physical pain torture this Coulter's found a new technique which she seems to be very proud of Mm -hmm. whereby she can she forces somebody else to do her dirty work which is very Mrs Coulter and it's far more mental which is horrific horrible to read but it just shows that real change in mrs coulter and her like knowledge and understanding of what it takes to break a witch which is terrifying yeah but like a great comparison because who knew that coulter would get two torture scenes in one book oh my god right (laughs) right and uh, yeah it's just it's fucking horrible but so great at the same time like it's such 
it's uh, horrific, but I love to read it because that's just me and I love to read shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically Lena she tells her everything. because, And I have no bad blood towards Lena because I probably would 100% do the same uh, if I was getting inspected because it sounds like the most fucking horrific thing that could ever happen. So you know what? Props to you, Lena. R.I.P. Yeah, it sounds horrific. And so, yeah, we find out she will be the mother, she will be life, mother, she will disobey. And Colt is like, name her, name her. And she's like, Eve, mother of all, Eve, Eve again. And Mrs. Coulter is like, everything clarifies for her in that moment mm-hmm. when she finds out the name because she is well-versed on her Bible stories and the propaganda of the magisterium. And so she knows exactly what that means. But for the lay reader who may not know their, like, Bible stories and stuff, it's kind of, it's still a little bit cryptic, I Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Because, like, for me, I'm just like, well, we knew that Mary has to play the serpent and if anyone has a basic grasp of the Bible story of, like, the serpent tempts Eve to eat the apple from the tree that she's been told don't eat that apple or don't eat fruit from this tree and she does and then they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden and it's all very sad that's the like super basic story but it's also like technically not how it works because they got told that if they ate that fruit they'd die and then they didn't die and then they were like hmm do we trust God? I don't know Um, (laughs) so it's really it's a really interesting and complicated story that can be looked into in lots of different ways which is why I love that Philip's drawing on it but it's Mm -hmm. really um interesting how that clarifies so much for mrs coulter in that moment and i'm sure we will do more in-depth stuff i would love to if anyone's a scholar on like eve on the fall of man of eve on the garden of that story i would love to get into it because it's so interesting it relates so much to so much internalized misogyny within organized religion because Mm -hmm. why we got to blame a lady for why the world is bad thank you very much there's so much to unpick here that we kind of don't have time to get into that i'd love to do something about (laughs) basically basically if you are a scholar or well-versed in all this kind of bible shit you can tell that i'm very well-versed because i just called it bible shit uh please get in touch because we'd love to speak to you about it Mm -hmm. i can i can try and do my research but whenever i do i find myself reading things everything is so you're either reading something from a very 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 religious website that's like hey, kids, let's teach you some Bible stories in a mm. simple way. Or something that's like, Eve isn't, like the story of the Garden of Eden isn't what you think it is. And it's a Vice article and it's like, ooh, con- I just want like a really, somebody that has read all of the things and has like a really good analytic understanding to like tell me because yeah, I mean, so much to pass through. Yeah, <laughs> I, learn, I, learn much, um, I learn much easier by being able to like pick somebody's brain and like ask like specific questions. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, if you have the time, anybody out there that might have the expertise, if you have the time and want to speak to us, please get in touch. Um, but yeah, I think the whole, I've said this before, like I am not a religious person, ha- never have been. I know the basic stories, but the, the religion as- aspect of these books is one of the things that I found quite confusing about it because I actually don't know that much. Mm. It's a lot of like added layers, I think, that mm. add understanding and meaning to the books in ways that aren't a hundred percent necessary to get the plot but like probably enhance the ways that you can read it yeah mrs coulter interestingly the witch asks her what will you do now and coulter says well i shall have to destroy her to prevent another fall why didn't i see this before it was too large to see and it's like she 
it's interesting that it means for her she's seen the bigger picture, but it's also interesting that she just went straight for I shall have to destroy her. And we'll see what that means because making the decision to destroy your own daughter is a pretty intense decision. I mean, and not a cool one. <laughs> no, but it fits perfectly in with Mrs. Coulter and everything that she's yeah. done so far. Absolutely. Yeah. And Coulter's kind of pieced herself into this huge picture where she's like, of course, Asriel will make war on the authority. And then, as before, so again. And Lyra is even this time she will not fall. And I will see to that. There will be no fall. And she's just like, I, for Mrs. Coulter, I feel like she perhaps feels like her life story is a little bit of there was a fall. She was tempted. Mm. She had the affair with Asriel. Shit went bad. Yeah. She had a fall from grace that she's had to build herself back up from. And she's kind of views the religious history of their world, the Magisterium's history, as this thing that was a fall that the world is trying to redeem itself from. And she's kind of there like, if I can pre- prevent another fall, I can prevent the bad thing from happening to the world that happened to me. And I can do it all by just manipulating my daughter. And it's like... Very true. It's very, very true. ingrained in Mrs. Coulter's mm. like entire personality is the idea that if she can prevent a fall or a scandal, it can like redeem her in some way. And that's like a huge thing. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense because rarely in pop culture do you have a villain that is that doesn't have some kind of personal backstory that relates to what is happening in that particular story. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. Good analogy. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> While we're on big old slight sidebars, I took a real stroll down a complete side path when I was reading this description of how the witch feels after her demon has been spectred and mm-hmm. been taken away. The little snow bunting demon lay twitching on the rock as the spectre moved towards the witch herself and then whatever Lena felt had undergone before was doubled and trebled and multiplied a hundredfold. She felt a nausea of the soul, a hideous and sickening despair, a melancholy weariness so profound that she was going to die of it. Her last conscious thought was disgust at life. Her senses had lied to her. The world was not made of energy and delight, but of foulness, betrayal and lassitude. Living was hateful and death was no better. Uh, and from end to end of the universe, this was the first and last and only truth. And thus she stood, bow in hand, indifferent, dead in life. That's really bleak. That's really grim. But f- immediately for me, it conjured the terrible feeling of despair that you feel when you get demented and all of the happiness drains away from the world mm-hmm. and all of the saddest things come up for you. But also, do you know the story of the Snow Queen? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so not Frozen, which is what it claims to be based on. It's not that. <laughs> okay. In this Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen, the initial concept is like told across seven stories. A lot of them are really weird, but the base story is the like prologue is like this demon who had like a demon school for being a demon um, created a mirror or a looking glass that when you looked in it, anything that was reflected in it that was good looked disgusting and horrible. Mm. And anything that was reflected in it was bad was bad Mm -hmm. times a hundred thousand things. So they like took this mirror around and was like showing it to all the things and being like, ha look how ugly this is. Look how disgusting this is. Look how bad this person is. And then like tried to fly up to the heavens to show it to an angel Mm -hmm. to prove that the angels aren't all that good. And then it got dropped and shattered into a thousand, thousand pieces. Oh boy. And then it like cuts to the story of this little boy and little girl 
who are called Kay and Gerda, and Kay accidentally gets a bit of one of these floaty shards of mirror in his eye, and he suddenly can't see anything good in the world. Oh, no. And he gets a little shard of this um, mirror in his heart, and he can no longer love. Ah, this is and horrible. Then the rest of the story is the little girl going on an adventure to rescue him, but it's just really... Um, it's just a really interesting comparison to exactly the way that that is just described mm. fully in a felt of like everything good in the world is gross. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that story. It sounds really sad. It gets really weird. Like the little girl goes on an adventure and meets like a crow and has a chat with a sunflower. And like, it's a lot, <laughs> it's a very unusual tale that is very different to Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so the little boy meets the Snow Queen mm-hmm. who is... Like the only thing that the little boy can see that is perfect in every way is a snowflake because they're so symmetrical ah. and they're so perfect. And he becomes obsessed with symmetry and puzzles because it's the only thing that is like logically perfect. Mm-hmm. And then he meets the snow queen who is like, he becomes entranced by her because she's like cold and unfeeling, but absolutely perfect in every way. And in that like logical cold sense of it. And she steals him away. And then the little girl has to go and rescue him. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But interesting because the way that it's um, it's described as the uh, the ugly glass which made everything great and good appear small and ugly while all that was wicked and bad became more visible and every little fault could, could be plainly seen. Mm. That's the way that it's described and that's so similar to the way in which this nausea of the soul is described yeah. in, in Lena as she gets spectered, which is really sad. Oh, poor Lena. It's such a shit way to go as well, thinking all that kind of horrible stuff just right before you are then spectered. Mm. So Coulter then orders the soldiers to get ready for to march up the mountain because they're basically going to find Lyra because Lena told them where they were. Then she went to the edge of the water and called to the spectres. They came at her command, gliding like pillars of mist across the water. She raised her arms and made them forget they were earthbound so that one by one they rose into the air and flirted free like malignant thistledown, drifting up into the night and borne by the air currents towards Will and Lyra and the other witches. But Lena felt, saw nothing of it. So it's very... Um, fly, I, my pretties, fly! Yes, 100%. <laughs> and it made me think of, again, like how they did it in the TV show and how they made it like much more cinematic, uh, like with her at the top of the tower and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I, again, have a comparison for you between Coulter and Joppery because mm. this is a very similar conversation to the one that Joppery had with a spectre where he was like, Psst, do you want to fly up to that Zeppelin and uh, and have a little snack on a pilot? And Mrs. Coulter's like, hey, all of you, have you ever thought about flying? Wouldn't that be fun? And they're like, oh, I didn't realise we could fly. And then they all just fly and it's like, yeah. cool. <laughs> I love it how it's like, oh, I just didn't realise, but now I can. Great. It's like, here's an idea for you, everyone. Fly. And they're like, oh, no, that's a thing. What is <laughs> it? Um, but yes. yes, now the spectres <laughs> are much more fucking dangerous. Thanks, Mrs. Coulter. Yeah, I love the description of them as being like malignant thistledown. Mm. That is like, yes. Anyone with hay fever probably finds thistledown malignant anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's just such like a beautiful, serene, but really sinister image of these like floaty little forms (laughs) yeah absolutely so we're back with will and lyra and will can't sleep 
I, I totally relate to this bit where he's like, it was partly his hand, which was now throbbing right up to the elbow and uncomfortably swollen, and partly the hard ground, and partly the cold, and partly utter exhaustion, and partly his longing for his mother. It's everything. <laughs> it's everything, yeah. And just not being able to sleep because there's so fucking much going on in your brain or going on around you. And uh, I hate that feeling so much. As somebody that struggles with sleep, it's just like, oh my God, please stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he gets up and he walks higher up the mountain. But before that, he thinks about his mum. And it's really sad. Yeah. He has a little cry. He does. And it's so, it's so everything. It's so lost little boy on his own. Um, He was afraid for her, of course, but he knew she'd be safer if he was there to look after her. But he also wanted her to look after him too, as she'd done when he was very small. He wanted her to bandage him and tuck him into bed and to sing to him and take him and take away all the trouble and surround him with all the warmth and softness and the mother kindness that he needed so badly. And it was never going to happen. Part of him was only a little boy still, so he cried. But he lay very still as he did, not wanting to wake Lyra. Oh, I feel that so deeply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's such deep like homesickness, but it's not homesickness because we know that he doesn't necessarily think of that many places as home, but it's it's mom sickness. He just mom misses sickness. his mom. So he gets up and heads off for a walk to clear his head because sometimes the best thing you can do is just to get out of bed. A hundred percent, yeah. And is followed by a witch who I have missed the opportunity thus far to refer to her as Chekhov's witch. (laughs) Do you know the Chekhov's gun theory? No. (laughs) So you might have heard Jenny say it a few times in Buffering. She keeps being like, ah, Chekhov's such and such. Because Chekhov is a playwright and a theatrical theorist. And Chekhov's gun is a concept that describes how every element of a story should contribute to the whole story. Mm -hmm. And it comes from his famous book, Uh, from his famous book writing advice in which he says, if in the first act you hang a pistol on the wall, then in the following one it should be fired. Otherwise, don't bother putting it there. Hmm, okay, yeah, makes sense. So every time we've been reminded of this witch's existence, Chekhov's witch. I feel like... Why is she here? What's she going to do? Why is she important? Every time we put a pin in something. Yeah, it's us saying, it's Chekhov's something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. so this witch, what is she going to do? Mm-hmm. Let, let's see shall we i put a sticker on here um he it's so he doesn't notice that the witch is following him but it says he felt such a need to move and keep moving that he hardly noticed the pain in his hand anymore he felt as if he could walk he should walk all night all day forever because nothing else would calm his fever in his breast and that is textbook anxiety if i've ever seen it you feel like you can and you should just be going forever just because you have this horrible like feeling in your chest which feels like adrenaline and it is and it's not and it's all these things at once and you don't know what to do with it and will has decided to walk because he thinks that might help and i hope it does um Mm -hmm. but yeah such a horrible feeling yeah yeah i feel that Mm -hmm. (laughs) i feel that on a very deep level (laughs) yeah well yeah i also wonder perhaps if it's something a little bit mystical and fatey that is drawing him up this hill at the same time yeah like he's probably driven by his anxiety but also like fate's probably poking him to be like psst you gotta go meet someone up there now (laughs) yeah yeah i think so so he's heading higher and higher up this mountain and he comes to the highest point of it basically um and it's pitch black the clouds have covered the moon and 
In less than a minute, Will found himself in nearly total darkness, and at the same moment, Will felt a grip on his right arm. Can you imagine? Pitch black, top of a mountain, something grips your arm. Absolutely no thanks. No thank you. Is it mystical darkness? Is it the storm following Joppery as he goes because he cast it and it's still kind of going? Is it coincidental darkness is it pathetic fallacy i don't know why is it why has it got to be so dark why has it got to be so dark yeah i don't know either i don't know either i suppose the reason why it's so dark from a writing perspective is that so these two don't look into each other's eyes straight away and realize who they are to each other but it could be mystical who knows yeah it's also so that Phil can write another rolly roundy on the groundy, twisty, grapply fight scene that yeah. is... How did Russell describe it? It's just another ten- tense altercation between an old man and a teenager yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a knife. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a lot of like slightly inept fighting, which sound- probably wouldn't look look brilliant on a screen because they're just rolling around and doing a bit of punchy. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I would like to say like throughout this entire fight... Joppery has got a fucking great grip for someone that's got a bad heart. Oh, goodness. Will thinks um, this man would never let him go. And even if he killed him, his corpse would still be holding on fast. Like, imagine thinking that mid-fight. Like, oh, my God, this grip. <laughs> this fucking grip. <laughs> uh, so they can't, they fight and they kind of, like, have a little tussle and there's legs and limbs everywhere. And then they both end up, like, lying back still because they lose their energy and then will hauls himself up and he sees a blur of white on the ground it was a white breast and head of a great bird an osprey a demon and it was lying still and then this is when we find out that it's joppery we knew that it was joppery but phil didn't tell us it was joppery and this is when Mm -hmm. we know for sure that it is uh joppery that he's fighting with and then joppery asks will to give him his hand and he has a little feel for his wound. And he's like, yeah, you're the knife bearer. Will's just like, be careful. Yeah. Ow. <laughs> it's, it's ouchie. <laughs> but fortunately, Joppery does have something to put on it, which we suspect might be his magical blood moss ointment that he's so proud of. Mm-hmm. That he mentioned back in The Shaman. Yeah. After confirming that he is the knife bearer that he has the knife will's like what are you doing and he's like oh i'm just curing your wound don't mind me and it puts this salve on on his on his poor little finger stumps it's better help it does i hope it does because he was will's definitely got some sepsis in setting like happening here (laughs) yeah Yeah, he does need medical attention so hopefully this mystery ointment will help and then they have a conversation Will's like, who are you? He's like, the only person that knows what the knife is for. Will puts his hand on Joppery's chest uh, by accident and feels his heart. And it's beating like a bird against the bars of a cage. Will, he says, yes, the man said hoarsely, try and cure that. Go on. Are you ill? I'll be better soon. Do you think that means he'll... Well, I was thinking, does he know he's going to die? Maybe. That's what I thought he meant by that. He's got a very strong um, one last mission before he dies. Yeah. We'll carry on. And once it's done, he can finally rest kind of. Exactly. Epic yeah. Vibe. And because he's yeah. a shaman, I, I, and I, I, I figured he would. And also because he knows how ill he is. Like, exactly. This is the last task that I need to do. And when it's done, I can die and be at, at peace. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we find out uh, Jopra gives us a little bit more information about the knife as well. Um, they invented, so he's talking about the old philosophers, they invented a device that could split open the very smallest particles of matter and they used it to steal candy. They had no idea that they had made the one weapon in all the universes that could defeat the tyrant, the authority, God. The rebel angel angels fell because they didn't have anything like the knife. So it truly is a god destroyer, like Serafina said it was. Mm-hmm. And poor little Will, he's like, I didn't want it. I don't want it now. If you want it, you can have it. I hate it. I hate what it does. And his poor Will, he's just like, this is too much. And Jopper has already kind of been like, oh my gosh, a child has this. Like, it is too much. Yeah, it truly is. It truly is. And Jopper's like, it's, it's too late. Like, it's yours now. There's no other choice. And what's more, if the other side get it, they'll use it against everybody for the rest of time. So, we, you know, we've got to do something about it now. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. They have a conversation around fighting, um, which is interesting because we spoke a lot about Will's, like, how he's drawn to, like, violence. Um, and it says, but why should I fight them? I've been fighting too much. I can't go on fighting. He says, have you won your fights? Will was silent. Lenny said, yes, I suppose. You fought for the knife? Yes, but then you're a warrior and that's who you are. Argue with anything else, but don't argue with your own nature. My note for this was i wonder if joppery knew in this moment that will was his son if he would be egging him on to be a warrior Mm. which is a very dangerous lifestyle (laughs) yes like i think he would potentially be conflicted in saying that because he'd want to but one would hope protect his son Mm. and egging someone on to be a warrior is not the most protective thing um it's an interesting thing to be like it's in your nature it really makes me think of buffy the vampire slayer when she's talking to i think it's dracula and he's like you're a hunter and she's like i'm not a hunter i'm not a killer and he's like slayer slayer killer it's the same thing and it's kind of like that of like it's in your nature you can't ignore it but also morally being like but i don't want to fight and i don't want to kill like that's not my jam (laughs) i wonder if um if Joppery knew that Will was his son or the bearer was going to be his son, whether he would have worked to keep himself alive so that he could help him with the mission rather than just being like, if we are reading that correctly, where he's like, I'll be better soon because I've done my task now. I wonder whether he would have stuck around. Uh, obviously, that choice is taken away from him by the witch, but mm-hmm. I would, whether would he have chosen to like stick around and help Will? on i would fucking hope so yeah yeah you'd hope or at least that he'd like yeah use what little time he had left to impart more useful wisdom yeah yeah we in true last chapter of the second book of a trilogy Mm -hmm. vibes we find out that there are two powers lining up for battle yeah the third book just like return of the king will be a majority (laughs) fight scenes (laughs) Or maybe not. We don't know. But that's the vibe you get when mm-hmm. everyone's talking about people lining up for battle. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, two, uh, two big sides. One of them is the oppressor. One of them is the oppressed. And Joppery is saying that this is the one chance that we have to try and defeat the oppressor. And so Will says, what must I do? And Phil decides to triple name him <laughs> right <yeah>. before... <laughs> 
he decides to betray our beloved Lee Scoresby. Yep. He gets triple named. All three versions of this character must be held accountable for what he is about to do yeah. to the memory of Lee Scoresby because he is about to get his ass haunted. Even if he himself 100%. becomes a ghost. Yeah. Lee promised to haunt him. He will be haunted. You've signed your own fate, mate. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know, I am so mad at Joppery for this, but I am also grateful for Will because he is keeping his dad's word. He will protect Lyra and that is what he wants to do. And that is really fucking sweet. And Will doesn't even know. He doesn't know about this promise, this earth between the two of them, but there is still somebody. Will is not going to go... He goes back for Lyra and sees that she's not there. His first thought was to go back and get Lyra before he went on this new mission that's been given to him. It it makes losing Lee all the more bittersweet because he died for a cause that was already being fought. He died to get her Lyra protected by somebody that already feels deeply for her and is already protecting her. But he didn't know that, so it was still very noble. But yeah. it was still very fruitless. He could have just gone and met up with him and everything would have been fine oh, and then no. the promise that he had made to at the very least do a thing then still got broken so it's like his entire his entire task was completely fruitless however <laughs> the end result is still lyra is under the protection of the knife bearer but only fortunately because will is happy to ignore his dad's advice <laughs> yeah and also it was a very good thing that lee single-handedly well not single-handedly because Joppery helped uh for a lot of the zeppelins but Got rid of all those Zeppelins and that, because they would have been on Lyra's case after they'd been on uh, mm-hmm. Lee and Joppery's case. So they did. he did eliminate a lot of enemies in the process as well. True. R.I.P. Lee. Oh, Lee. Pull one out. As always, everything seems to consistently circle back to Lord Asriel. Oh, of course, of and course. And Grumman, Parry, Joppery tells Will that he needs to take the knife to Asriel and that someone will appear to guide him because the night is full of angels. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. We've seen the occasional angel this book. More than the occasional angel, so perhaps we'll get to have an actual chat with some. (laughs) And just before you go, can I take a proper look at you? (laughs) (laughs) It makes me, it reminds me of really something that like, um, like a grandparent would say, come closer so I can get a proper look at you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. I do love this description. I'm just going to, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. In its light through the rain-dashed windy air, the two looked at each other. Will saw blazing blue eyes and a haggard face with several days growth of beard from a stubborn jaw, grey hair drawn with pain, a thin body hunched in a heavy cloak trimmed with feathers. The shaman saw a boy even younger than he'd thought, his slim body shivering in a torn linen shirt and his expression exhausted and savage and wary, but alight with a wild curiosity, his eyes wide under the straight black brows so like his mother's. And then there came just the first flicker of something else to both of them, but in that same moment, as the lantern light flared over John Parry's face, something shot down from the turbid sky and he fell back dead before he could say a word. An arrow in his failing heart, the osprey demon vanished in a moment. Will could only sit stupefied. I Everything happens at once. <laughs> it truly does. And I honestly, truly forgot that they don't even get to have a conversation as father and son. Nope. And the only indication that we get that one of them knows the other in that moment is Joppery thinking, 
uh, eyes wide under the straight back black brows, so like his mother's, and then he's dead. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's literally. I love. I love the wording of that moment of recognition because as you're reading it, you think you're just reading a description, and then it comes out with the so like his mother's, and you're like, oh, they know, and then literally exact same moment. He gone. He dead. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, <laughs> truly, truly, absolutely destroying. And so this is the thing. Last chapter, we were emotionally destroyed to lose a very beloved character. And this chapter, I feel like I'm not as sad to have lost Joffrey, who's a very cool character. Like, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I'm devastated for Will. Yeah. I'm devastated for Will's loss of this thing that he's been searching for his whole life and is taken away the moment he knows that he has found it. Yeah. That's where the real, like, absolute earth-shattering heartbreak comes from. Because yeah. we spent the whole book getting to know and love Will and find out what he wants. And all he wanted was to find his dad. It would be better if they didn't get to see each other and Will just found out down the line that he was dead. It's so much fucking worse that they have this tiny little moment together. It's so much worse. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate it's it, but like I love it. An entire world of opportunity and understanding just completely springing into existence and completely collapsing in an yeah. instant and it's like oh everything is too much oh, <laughs> truly truly uh will like super fast spidey reflexes yes. um sees something in the corner of his vision and is suddenly clutching the witch's demon which is a big no-no we don't do we don't do touching demons here but also i kind of don't blame him he's in shock he saw something move he grabbed it yeah and the witch is like fallen down off a broom and is like um obviously in a lot of pain because someone's got her demon and will is just unsurprisingly outraged it's like why did you do that why did you kill him so all the witches are a bit scared of will yeah, we know this. A lot of it is his like, oh, he's a bit like Asriel. He's so like intense in his person. And then also, oh, he's got this magic wound that even we can't heal. It's so powerful. And the knife that repels the spectres. There's so many aspects of him that are like all powerful and scary. And she's clearly scared of him. And then finds out that he that he's like, he's like, that was my father. And she's like, even more like, oh shit. Yeah. Because yeah. her reason for killing him is so goddamn petty. Yeah, so petty. All she says is he scorned me. And she's like, you're too young to understand. No. <laughs> we don't kill people over being scorned. <laughs> yeah, I am so mad at her. I'm really fucking mad at her. Mm-hmm. It's very fr- fucking frustrating. <laughs> um. <laughs> Will's like, you don't know who he was. He was my father. And she shakes her head and is like, no, no, that can't be true. Impossible. And I love I love what Will says, which is, you think things have to be possible? Things have to be true. He was my father and neither of us knew it till the second you killed him, which I wait my I wait all my life and come all this way and find him at last and you kill him. And I feel like that's exactly, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so perfectly worded of like, I come all this way. Yeah. And in the moment I find out what I finally want, you kill him. Yeah. And again, like, I, like, Will is very violent with her. Um, he shook her head like a rag and threw her against the ground. There's one bit where he, like, grabs her hair. And I, I still don't know how I feel about all this 
with Will being violent. Like, I don't blame him for it. But it's such an interesting choice for his character. Uh, and I think in this moment, it's obviously that he's completely lost control. Like, I, I get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, but even before, like, when he's so ready for violence and we've spoke a little bit about, like, how his past might have uh, been a factor in, in how he now is. But it's a very interesting choice to make one of your um, main hero characters, protagonists, quite like have a tendency for violence yeah it's um all of the things that if you were genuinely this angry and something like this happened in in your life that you probably wouldn't do or you would wish that you would do he's just doing because the like impulse control partly isn't there because he is a child yeah and like yes children have temper tantrums and throw things and hit and kick sometimes because they are children and they're not fully emotionally in control of their actions when things get really really intense and things are incredibly intense right now for will but also it's a sign of like other patterns of things probably related to his like yeah all his childhood trauma because of how much bullying him and his mom were subjected to and all of the like caring roles that he has to take on for his mom and all of the stuff he's burdened with like we said we're not surprised that he has a short fuse and in this moment he's also in massive amounts of shock yeah yeah absolutely we don't love the immediate impulse to go towards violence, but it's very understandable with the intensity of these situations. Yeah, yeah. So Will says, what did he ever do that you needed to kill him? He cried, tell me that if you can. And she looked at the dead man. Then she looked back at Will and shook her head sadly. No, I can't explain, she said. You're too young. It wouldn't make sense to you. I loved him. That's all. That's enough. And before Will could stop her, she fell softly sideways, her hand on the hilt of the knife she had uh, her hand on the hilt of the knife she had just taken from her own belt and pushed between her ribs. She didn't call for Yamba Aka. She did not, and he Will Will felt no horror, only desolation and bafflement, which I'm not surprised by. He's enjoyed enough. Yeah. He cannot physically experience any more emotions right now. I'm not surprised he's just numb. I mean he literally says i don't understand he said aloud it's too strange and also like i don't know about you i'm like a bit i'm annoyed i'm a little bit annoyed at this witch for just killing herself like this because she at least is i know that will's being really violent with her but i feel like she at least deserves to give him a proper explanation and have a proper conversation with him about like what just happened and that might not have been possible at that point in time because of the heightened emotions but she at least, like, Will at least deserves that. Like, even a story about his dad, like, how does she know his dad? Like, what happened there? All that kind of stuff. Now he'll never know because she's fucking dead. <laughs> Why is everyone dead? Yeah. It's a, kind of a handy narrative device for Phil not to have to go and explain too much more. Um, and it's also just, how's about we find a way to leave Will essentially completely on his own? Yeah. With no explanations and feeling incredibly lost it's like yep let's just have everybody either die or kill themselves there are so many bodies this chapter absolutely strewn with them yeah (laughs) just everywhere like around this immediate vicinity there are so many bodies everywhere like who's i mean lots of food for the cliff gas i suppose they they don't they don't have cliff gas in shirgatsy world do they just in lyra's world i don't know (laughs) Yeah. Food for something. Food for something. There'll be scavengers. There's yeah. always scavengers. Like local vultures. Yeah. Maybe some coyotes. 
Will, he says, I don't understand. He said aloud, it's too strange. And then he sa- it says, Will turned back to the dead man, his father. A thousand things jostled at his throat, and only the dashing rain called the hotness in his eyes. The little lantern still flickered and flared as the draught through the ill-fitting window licked around the flame, and by its and by its light, Will knelt and put his hands on the man's body, touching his face, his shoulders, his chest, closing his eyes, pushing the wet grey hair off his forehead, pressing his hands to the rough cheeks, closing his father's mouth, squeezing his hands. And then this bit, I feel like he's just saying all the words for dad he can think of because he's never had the chance to ever say it to his face before. Also harks back to the most devast- one of the most devastating moments in Buffy because he's like, father, dad, Oh God, no, daddy. how dare you? <gasps> Don't you dare. I'm sorry, it just is. It's a very like... Mom? Mom? Mommy? Yeah. No, we can't. Just saying, it's a series of words that... Come up in devastating moments in our favourite series. <laughs> it also speaks to that thing of like daddy specifically is very much like transported back to being a much younger child, feeling very small and very scared and very like they like you need a parent in that moment. And that it really, really, really highlights his vulnerability, the fact that he says daddy. I'm sorry, but the word daddy has been completely ruined for me just by pop culture and how it's been sexualized. By the gays. Yeah, by the gays, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Yes. But yeah, I see, I I know exactly what you're saying. Um, And then Will says that he will do what his dad wanted him him to do. He will take the knife to Asriel. He'll fight the enemy. I'll do it. You can rest now. It's all right. You can sleep now. And then this is the thing that I mentioned of the the first the first thought he has that he has to go back to Lyra. Like he's not just gonna go on his own. And he puts on his dad's mantle. Yeah. His dad's goes. cloak. Mm-hmm. The mantle Easter egg. He's picking up his father's mission and his coat. <laughs> <laughs> love it. We love a dual meaning or a more than dual meaning, because as we learned earlier in Dictionary Corner, mantle has many, many, many meanings. Many meanings, <laughs> yeah. So after doing that, he heads back down the mountain and he can hear strange sounds, uh, confused echoes of cri- of cries and chanting, the clash of metal on metal, pounding wing beats that one moment sounded so close they might actually be inside his head and the next so far away that they might have been on another planet. Something strange is going on. And when he gets back to where Lyra is, he sees two men standing there in the dark as if they were waiting and one of the men smoke. You're the boy with a knife, he said, and his voice had the strange quality of those wing beats. Whoever he was, he wasn't a human being. It's angels. It's angels. It's angels. Yes. We are the watchers. Buffy again. <laughs> Bennett and Lim, in your language, angels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Will is, rightfully so, pissed off with these angels because they tell him that they've been following his father to try and find him this entire time and that... He didn't know that he was being followed, for one thing, which is not chill. We're not here for Angel NSA, thank you very much. No, do you know what's interesting about that, sorry to interrupt you, is that I thought it it seems very Phil to pepper that in. Like, I'm surprised that when we were with Joffrey that there weren't some like, ooh, and there was a rustle in the trees and maybe they saw something glinting in the light or, do you know, like something like that. We had no idea. Yeah, true. There may have been, yeah, there may have been moments that we've missed, if you can think of any. Mm. No, because we love it. 
but yeah, Will is like, why didn't you stop the witch from killing my dad then? If you've been following him around and protecting him this whole time. And they're like, oh, it's because he'd already found you and his job was done. So, so cold. we didn't care if he died. That cold. is cold AF. <laughs> so cold. Yeah. And again, Will, I think he must still be in shock because he doesn't really say anything in response, but I'm sure he's like bank, like filing that for later to be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, his job was done, was it? You just didn't think maybe you could just use your magical angel powers to, like, save my dad from being killed yeah. by one measly arrow. You could have just knocked it out of the way. It wouldn't have taken much effort. Truly. <laughs> so angry. Truly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's so fucking angry. So Will says that he has to get Lyra, but he will go with them because obviously the angels are offering their protection, like Joppery said, before he died. And so they head back in the dimness... He could see the witches who had been guarding Lyra all sitting or standing still. They looked like statues, except that they were breathing, but they were scarcely alive. There were several black silk clad bodies on the ground. More bodies. And as he gazed in horror from one to another of them, Will saw what must have happened. They had been attacked in midair by the spectres, but fallen to their deaths indifferently. Bloody hell, that's dark, isn't it? Yeah. And then he notices that Lyra isn't there. She's gone. She's gone. Lyra is gone. Lyra is gone. <laughs> Lyra is gone. But her rucksack with the alethiometer in has been left behind. She wouldn't leave that. <laughs> exactly. So Lyra is gone. She has been taken. She's been taken because she would not leave her rucksack behind with the alethiometer in it. And Will is like, I don't know who you are and I don't know why you've taken Lyra, but I have a very specific set of skills <laughs> and a knife and I will find you. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And that is a very poor attempt at parodying that speech <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the closing lines of this chapter the angels say you must come with us now lord Azrael needs you at once the enemy's power is growing every minute the shaman has told you what your task is follow us and help us win come with us come this way come now and will looked from them to lyra's rucksack and back again and he didn't hear a word they said yeah ignore them mate you've got to go find lyra but yeah. what a bloody cliffhanger. 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 All right, cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Literally, like, I don't know if you get a little preview of the next book at the, at the end of your book, but mine is, that's it. That's all, that's all he wrote. <laughs> no, I, I do. Oh, I do, actually. But first I get, like, loads of letters from Joffrey. Like, I got loads of Azriel letters in the last one. But yeah, I do get the first chapter of The Amber Spyglass. But yeah, done. Done, sir. Subtle knife. Completed it, mate. Oh, my God. So... One last little point that I noticed because the angels are like, Joppery didn't know that we were following him. But also Joppery literally says to Will, the night is full of angels. Like the, So I feel like maybe he did know that something was true, going on. True, very true. Because yeah. the angels are like, yeah, he didn't know. I was like, well, he literally told Will to look out for the angels because somebody would guide him. Very like, true. Very, very true. Maybe he did know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's done. I know I just said that, but we've finished. Yeah, Only that what? is... This little knife. Mm -hmm. Well done, folks. We got through it. We got through the last two chapters, which are two of the most devastating chapters. We did. We did it. We did it. Um, Phil bloody loves to kill off a character in the last two chapters of his book. So we know mm -hmm. this. R.O.P. Roger. R.O.P. Lee. Yeah. R.O.P. Joppery. Yeah. 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 Pour one out for all of them. Yeah. <sighs> Do you have an award for the last chapter? Um, I I kind of want to just give it to Lee, even though he's not in the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. You know nice, what? Nice. 
because this is the thing like I feel like it's such a it's not a messy chapter but like there's a lot that happens in the chapter yeah and I kind of just want to give it to Serafina because she's just there and she just gets a call and she's on it is yours the same yes my oh my god it, literally <laughs> she's in it for two seconds and we're both like <laughs> literally yeah i had seraphina for immediately going to help lee when he calls mm-hmm. we're still just fixated on lee basically so, yeah 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 <laughs> still in shock from last week's episode um yeah yeah like i feel like we've given will a lot recently like a lot of awards because he's had a really hard time of it but i also feel like he's not like, a lot of stuff just happened to him this chapter. Yeah. Like, he's had to deal with a lot, but... Yeah, and we've barely seen Lyra. Yeah. Mrs. Coulter's been... She's not getting an sl- award. Slap on the wrist for Mrs. Yeah. Coulter yeah. for being a bit too weird for us. We yeah. do not enjoy the demon moments. I feel I feel like Seraphina's been the most, like, award-worthy person in this chapter. I agree. 100%. 100%. We could never give it to Joppa if a betraying Lee either. No. Absolutely not. I'm sorry. It's not happening. Nope. You don't you don't betray our balloon dad without and, and then still get an award. No. You forfeit your right to awards and you sign up to get haunted. So Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, that's it. That is, I guess, we shan't tell you our feelings about the book as a whole, because we're gonna discuss that in a very special episode where we chat about the whole of the subtle knife. Exactly. So that that's coming. That's the next episode you'll get from us, so Keep your it is. eyes and ears peeled. If you have any strong feelings about that, send us emails ASAP about your feelings about the book as a whole because we mm. will be recording that quite quite soon. <laughs> so Exactly. Um, yeah. And yeah, the mailbag too. So if you have any other feelings or feelings about Northern Lights because we didn't do a mailbag for Northern Lights, any general feelings, send them our way. Yes. We love it. We do. We bloody love an email. And you know what else we bloody love? We bloody love a review. We do. A review. (laughs) Reviews really help people to find the podcast and they really help us in the rankings. And as a way of us saying thank you to you for reviewing us, we're running a prize draw. So the deal is, if you've been listening to previous episodes, you know the deal, but I'm repeating it anyway. The deal (laughs) is, leave us a good review. Screenshot that review. Email your screenshot of your review to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com and that email counts as your entry into a prize draw. When we get 50 of those emails, we will pull 10 out of a hat and 10 of you will get some super cool bookmarks and one of you will get the full HDM pod little merch pack. We're so yes. excited. We're, ne- we're like, we're all, we're like making good progress on getting there and yeah. we love reviews as well honestly Faye sends me a message every time we get one and I'm like yay <laughs> yay we do we do and please yeah give us an, uh, give us five stars say nice things uh recommend us to a friend give us a shout on social media like anything like that really helps um other people to um you know to to find out who we are and what we do and also it's nice for us to see we love getting a shout out um and we're very active on social media and emails so you will most likely get an email and or social media reply back. So please do. Yes, we love it. <laughs> we do. Thank 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Heard Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at HeardArtMaterialsPod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at HDMPod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash HDMPod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Fit, and when I'm not finishing the subtle knife, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Fayley, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here raging at fate and being very angry at the way Philip Pullman finishes his books, I'm usually making cute and magical arty things. And you can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, on TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. A huge thanks, as always, to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. Bloody hope it will. That was a massive cliffhanger. It was. Who knows Ooh. what's going to happen? Bye. <laughs> See you. Bye. See you soon. End of book two. Woo, we did it. Yay. <laughs>